Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hillhead Baptist Church. It's always interesting when we get to the October break. Will anybody be here, or will everybody have gone on holiday? Uh, but it's really wonderful that today we have friends visiting uh, who have not been around for a while and new people sharing with us. So it's fabulous to have you here. We hope you will enjoy worshipping with us and stay up with us after the service for refreshments. Any information you need to know is on the printed service sheet and words of the majority of the hymns will also appear on screen. Our call to worship comes from the book of Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for one to bear the yoke in youth, to sit alone in silence when the Lord has imposed it, to put one's mouth to the dust, for there may yet be hope. The Lord will not reject forever. His compassion is abundant. His steadfast love endures forever. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we come to you in prayer, we do with words such as mighty and powerful, everlasting and awesome. These are good words to use. Words that remind us of the wonder of creative, redeeming and sustaining work that you have continued through the whole of history. We also come with other words, softer, perhaps more tentative, such as gentle, merciful, forgiving and gracious. These words also speak of the mystery of who you are and are just as much essential to your sustaining, redeeming, creating work now and in all times. We come to you as people with busy lives and with complex networks of human relationships. People who may be anxious, afraid, hurting or in pain. People who may be angry, bitter, vengeful or spiteful. People who need to know we are accepted just as we are. People who need to be set free from all that ensnares our hearts and our minds. People who need to grow in grace, love, faith and hope. So please hear our prayers. Some that we have prayed many times and some which are new. Some to which we confidently expect answers and others where we are far less sure. And please answer them in ways that will delight us inspiring us to keep on walking with you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like the grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you. Your secret, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reasons of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days, making us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants, and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Hebrews 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter this rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter the rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to his eyes of him whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help of time of need. If you go to any service of worship, somewhere along the line, you will be invited to participate in prayer. Prayers of praise or thanksgiving. Prayers of confession or intercession. Prayers for healing or wholeness. Prayers of blessing. Prayers that are spoken aloud by one person. Prayers with responses. Prayers spoken together. Prayers read from books. Prayers written specially for this service. Prayers made up as we go along. And yet, if we take the time to be honest with ourselves and with each other, prayer, which is such a massive part of public worship, is something that many, if not most, find difficult. We're not really sure what we should say, especially as we believe that God knows everything already anyway. We're not sure what we should expect. Because if God's will is to be done, however we understand that or interpret that, what does happen when we say a prayer? We're not always sure how we should feel. Because if we're honest, sometimes it feels as if we're praying into a vacuum, talking to the wall, or to the ceiling. We're not sure how long we should pray for, or even how often, or how we should pray. Some people might even ask why we pray. A couple of weeks ago, when I had a, a, a Sunday off to climb a mountain, Amanda led you very skillfully through an exploration of prayer based on what the book of James has to say. For the next few weeks, we're going to be using some of the psalms to think a little bit more about prayer. These are the psalms that are set within the lectionary. Psalms that maybe we find easy and maybe we find difficult to listen to. I think you know, or if you don't, I'm going to tell you, the lectionary sets four Bible readings for each Sunday which were prayerfully selected by a massive committee to ensure that we hear a full range of scripture and are enabled to listen to God through listening to contrasting passages. So each week in the lectionary, there will be an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a gospel, and another New Testament passage. And that's partly why, no matter what I'm preaching on, I make sure we hear at least two of those passages week by week. Because if what I'm saying doesn't connect with you, Maybe the other passage will. I could say an awful lot about the background to Psalm 90, and indeed the Psalms as a whole. I could note the social, social and historical context in which they were written. Actually, I don't want to start there. I want us to start by reminding ourselves that the book of Psalms is the earliest collection of liturgy for public worship that we as Christians have And actually, it's one we share with both Jews and Muslims. For around half of the world's population, these ancient hymns, songs, and prayers 
are used regularly. They may be read, they may be sung, they may be prayed privately or publicly, and very often as part of a daily or weekly cycle. I know a number of you use personal daily Bible readings, and you'll probably be within that accustomed to finding the fact that the Psalms crop up quite often. When I was a student back in the 1980s, we used to grumble about the fact that the worship, the Bible notes we used had what we called Psalms on Sundays. You'd had normal reading, six days, Sunday, they gave you a psalm. Well, I still think it has a useful place. Catholic, Orthodox and Episcopal churches will read or sing a psalm in every single service, and so on and so forth. We know that the Psalms are precious and important, but I have a sneaky suspicion that if I asked you to tell me the number of your favourite Psalm, we wouldn't get above six or seven different numbers. Just do a quick bit of exercise. Is Psalm 8 anybody's favourite? 23? 46? 121? 137? 139? 145? 150? 100? Okay, anybody got a favourite whose number I haven't said? 91. I have 91 next week. So we'll have 91 next week, Miss Allen. Thank you. For, and I've got it here. It said, I said maybe 51, 91, 103, or 119. Why anybody wants to read the whole of 119, I don't know, but there you go. So why are we looking at Psalm 90? Because let's be honest, it wasn't exactly the most jolly read, was it? <laughs> Elizabeth did very well reading that for us. It wasn't exactly a happy psalm. So we're going to think about this psalm a little bit this morning. Like most of the Psalms in the Bible, Psalm 90 actually begins with an attribution. In other words, it's a line that tells us something about who wrote it and why. A lot of contemporary translations move that up and make that a title, so we tend not to read it. Now, I expect a lot of people will have grown up having been told that David wrote all 150 Psalms. Actually, I hate to disillusion you, but he didn't. If you look carefully, you'll find that all sorts of people wrote the Psalms, very often musicians who may have been employed for the purpose. But Psalm 90 is unique because it is attributed to Moses. The very first line, which often appears as a title in contemporary translations, says it is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now, whilst we can't prove that Moses wrote it, and that's a debate for some scholars, it's certainly written in the style of Moses, and there are hints of uh, phrases that also appear in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But what we can guess at is the kind of context in which it was written. If we think of the story of Moses, we know then that this was a story of exile in Egypt, a story of slavery, a story of struggle, and then the escape from Egypt, and then 40 long years wandering interminably in the wilderness, never quite getting to where you felt God was leading you. 
Now, we can't date this psalm. We can't say whether it was written in Egypt or whether it was written in the wilderness. But we can actually say with reasonable confidence, this was written by somebody for whom life was actually difficult. It was life in the raw. This wasn't a pleasant time. Biblical scholars tend to group the Psalms by their style or the feeling, the way it feels when you read it. Some are very upbeat festival psalms, and others, like this one, are usually called psalms of lament, psalms in which regret and sorrow and questioning are definitely permitted and are very clear. Walter Brueggemann, a contemporary scholar, refers to this kind of psalms as psalms of disorientation, and I think that's quite a helpful way of describing them. These are the psalms of people who are bewildered, people who find it difficult to make sense of what's going on. Some of them, yes, are very personal and express regrets for somebody's own misdemeanors. Others are quite clearly communal, relating to the experience of a whole community of people whose shared experience is painful and difficult. Now, our worldview and experience are totally different from those biblical writers. And yet, I think we can be as confused, as bewildered, as lost or angry, and yes, as remorseful and sad as they were. When we look around at our family or friends, or watch or listen to news on television, all sorts of questions come to mind. Why do bad things happen to good people? How come powerful people seem to escape justice for their misdemeanors? We might go further and ask, well, where is God when tragedy strikes a whole community? Why didn't God step in to stop that bad thing happening to that child or that community or those animals who were being cruelly treated? I think perhaps sometimes these psalms disquiet us because they do what we're afraid to do. They say it to God as it is. They rant at God if they're angry. They ask God the hard questions. They're not shy about being honest and authentic. What I want us to do for a few minutes is to think, well, okay, we all know that life is complicated, confusing, and bewildering. And for many of us, prayer is not easy. It can be very difficult. So is there anything we can get from this psalm that is helpful, that offers us hope, or even a way forward in our own prayers? At the heart of this psalm is something about time. It compares and contrasts God and humanity And it's about trying to find a way of living authentically and faithfully in the here and now with all the complexity that involves. Like most of the biblical psalms, this one starts with a section of praise, a reminder to the writer about the character of God. God is eternal and pre-existent. Before creation, God already was. After everything has passed away, God still will be. At the same time, God is not completely transcendent, not totally removed from creation 
and the creatures within it just sort of sitting back and watching. God is described as the home of all creation, the dwelling place of all generations. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, the image of God as a house is not a very familiar one. But it's a rather beautiful one. God offers shelter and security. God is the place we can return after our adventures to share our joys. But also, when we're frightened or anxious, we can go and find safety in God. This statement of faith is a deliberate reminder to the writer about the character of God when life seems to suggest otherwise. It doesn't feel like this is how God is, so the writer reminds themselves that this is what they believe God is like. Perhaps when we struggle with our prayer, when we don't know what to say or how to say it, Perhaps it will be useful to remind ourselves that we live in what some have termed God's eternal now. That the central character of God as refuge, as shelter, as a place of safety is everlasting and unchanging, no matter what else is going on. That God is always there, that God cannot be overwhelmed. That's where the psalmist starts. Next, they move on to talk about human finitude. Don't know if you picked up in that. It said, we may live 70 or 80 years. Still true today. But in the grand scheme of things, and there's a whole sweep of history, what's that? We're so insignificant, so unimportant. Just like grass, we're here today and gone tomorrow. We are small, and this is so enormous. The writer is very keenly aware of sin and the consequences of sin. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, not because it's unimportant, because it is important, but it's not actually where I want to go. Just to note, though, that um, any attempt to make a direct causal relationship between suffering and disaster and personal or national sin, as some people still do, is both dangerous and ungodly. Of course the world is afflicted by sin, and of course sin has, com- has consequences, but no one human being has the task or the privilege to make that causal relationship that says that sin caused that bad effect. Jesus challenged that, didn't he, with the man born blind, and the disciples said, well, whose sin was it? And Jesus said, this is not about sin. He was born blind, and in this situation, I can show you something of God. What's important for us is to remember that the psalmist is very aware of the limits of humanity, And the fact that life can be very arduous and very unpleasant. And I think that gives us permission to do the same. That when we're talking to God, we can say, I find this hard. I don't understand this. I wish I'd done something else instead. I wish that would happen. But also to ask those questions. Why did a little girl in Machuncliffe get abducted and seemingly murdered? 
Why have we not found her? You might want to ask God those questions. Why does somebody like Jimmy Savile, who had everything, turn out to be somebody who is alleged to have committed horrendous crimes? You might want to raise those things with God, and that is perfectly fine. It's perfectly authentic. Prayer is not just a nice, sweet shopping list. It's actually being honest to God. The heart of this psalm, though, lies in verses 12 and 13, where we move from praise and confession in the first half of the psalm to the petitions, the requests, in the second half. We've reminded ourselves of God's eternal nature. We've reminded ourselves of our own limitations. Now we bring requests. It seems quite innocuous what he says, but basically he says this, our lives are short and fleeting, so teach us how to live them wisely. The world is a challenging and frightening place. Bad things can happen. We make mistakes, we mess up. So please, God, show us how to live our lives the best we can in the time that we have. But then it goes on to something that is truly shocking in the Hebrew. It's lost in nearly every contemporary translation. In fact, it's one where the King James is about the only one that gets it right. The psalmist says to God, stop being angry and repent. Do you dare to tell God to repent? That's really, really shocking stuff. But that is what the writer says. God, you are the eternal safe place for all of us. And you're angry and you're judgmental. Stop it, God. Turn back to who you really are. What are you about? You're not about destruction. You're about mercy. You're about love. And that's what the psalmist says. Show us your love. Show us your mercy. Let our lives count so that the next generation will come to know your true character. I find that quite amazing. I could have just read that bit, really, and not done all the rest, because I think that's the heart of of what this psalm shows us. So it, it operates on many levels when it talks to us about our own prayer. There is the framework, which is a good evangelical adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication model. We centre our thoughts on God. We tell God how life really is, and then we ask God to help us. The reminder of God's eternity sent against our own limits. That's quite scary. And yet, if God is our eternal safety, there is comfort within that. It's unashamedly honest in the way it is written. And perhaps that's good for us to be reminded too. I want to finish by just rereading some of the words from the second reading we heard in Hebrews 4. Because I think it reminds us how Jesus actually embodied what we've been thinking about. Let us then hold firmly to the faith we profess, So this is the God who is our shelter, the God who is love. For we have a great high priest who's gone into the very presence of God, Jesus, the Son of God. Our high priest is is not one who cannot feel sympathy for our weakness. On the contrary, 
We have a high priest who is tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin. Let us have confidence then and approach God's throne where there is grace. There we will receive mercy and find grace to help us just when we need it. Our eternal God is a place of safety to whom we can be totally honest and to whom we can return in confidence whenever we do. We approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us pray. Lord God, creator and sustainer of all things, nothing is hidden from your sight. Throughout all days, you are God. We bring to you the concerns of this day, praying that what we ask is what you would have us ask, seeking the mercy and grace which only you can provide. We bring our prayers for this community, for this part of your body, the church. We thank you for the glimpses of Christ we see in one another and for the encounters that bring joy and hope into our lives. We ask that you would sustain this community with love. We pray for Katrina, for the managers, and for all who perform the roles necessary to sustain the life and witness of this congregation. Help us all to play our part in building a community which bears honest and open witness, which shines light to those around us and brings glory to you. We bring our prayers for our country. Faced with uncertainty and insecurity, we pray for insight and wisdom for those who lead our communities and governments. Faced with fear and loneliness, we pray for the most vulnerable in our society and for all who work to hold up their needs and rights. Faced with depression and ill health, we pray for those for whom each day is a struggle and ask you to show us how we can bring your love to them. Help us all to play our part in building a country where all are valued and none are forgotten. We bring our prayers for this world, your world, where violence and war seem to know no end. We pray that the cycle of aggression might be broken. We pray for safety for those who are innocently caught up in parts of the world where they face daily danger. Where the urge to consume has taken priority over the need to preserve and sustain your creation, we pray for an end to greed, including our own. We pray for boldness and courage for those who are fighting injustice, especially where doing so places them in situations of real danger. In silence, we take time to call to mind those known to us 
who today are far from this place in other parts of the world. We ask your blessing on them and we pray for the needs of their communities. May your favour rest upon us and those for whom we have prayed. In the name of the great High Priest, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God, our shelter and our home. God, our companion on the way. As we go out from here to the realities and complexities of our life, may we be constantly aware of your love, mercy and grace surrounding us. Give us courage and strength for each new day. We offer our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.